Turn to the book of Exodus. If you're visiting this morning, you're right in the middle of a series, and I don't really have a whole lot of time to go back and recap where we're at and why we're here, um, but you're welcome to go to the website and listen to the podcasts. Uh, the, we're basically in, in week number eight. Is that right? Week number eight of Exodus, His Move, My Groove. And last week, we talked about how every destiny, every, uh, every hope, every dream, every goal, every promise, every endeavor has a journey that goes along with it, has a process, it has a, a road that you take to get to that journey. For example, Israel wasn't going to come out of Egypt. Uh, God wasn't going to just miraculously transport them. And for most of us, the season that we're in, God isn't going to just finish what he started in us in one fell swoop. It takes time. And bottom line, there are, uh, like I said last week, there are travel pains that come along with um, getting to your destiny. And I ended with this statement last week. uh, If you despise the journey, you're going to delay the destiny. If you despise the journey, then you will delay the destiny. Uh, If you're familiar with the Exodus story in the Bible, then you can guess how Israel's destiny was delayed. Obviously, the promised land, uh, a trip that should have only taken about seven, eight, maybe nine days, 10, 11, 12 at the most, ended up taking 40 years for Israel to come into the promised land. We know the story. We know that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. And this week, what I want to do is take that thought a little further because I think at times we can feel like uh, there is a delay in our destiny and we're actually just walking around aimlessly waiting for God to love us again. You ever felt like that? I think the songs that Sean and the team and, and Jesse picked this morning um, are so, I think they've prepared our hearts because I think that is something that we always struggle with. Does God love me? And as it relates to where we're at in life, maybe this journey, maybe this difficult journey, we have this, this idea that we're just, we're just like in a God-forsaken land, waiting for God maybe to look at us again, smile upon us again, to love us again. And um, so this, this statement, despising the journey, delaying the destiny, the key to understanding this really is in Hebrews 12, verse 6. And if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read the message version. It says, it's the child that he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. Hebrews 12, 6, you can write that down. A lot of people quote this verse, especially when they're going through a really difficult time. And this, this is actually a great verse to quote. But unless you have a deeper understanding of God, unless you have a deeper understanding of His will, a deeper understanding of His ways, then you may apply this to your life in a way that could possibly be uh, incorrect. And uh, as I was thinking about this, we're going to look at that. But first of all, uh, we almost always forget that He loves us. We almost always forget, first and foremost, that God loves us. Listen, when God moves in our lives, and we've been talking about His active involvement, not just geographical moves, but when God is actively involved in our life, when He is moving, He is motivated by love. I've said this many times in many different ways. God's first inclination towards us is always love. Is there justice? Yes, Does he have to do things in our lives to get our attention? Yes, but that is always a response to his obedience. His first inclination is love. Maybe you've come out of a background where, no, God is wrath. God is mean. God pokes you in the eyes like the Three Stooges. We watched that the other day. And so God's like, "Eh, no, that's not God. 
His first inclination is to say, I love you, not poke you in the eyeballs. You know what I mean? But listen, discipline is always at the center of what God is doing. Look what it says. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. Discipline is at the center of what he's doing in our lives. But listen, discipline has two meanings. Discipline is a form of preparation. To teach or to train. You think about a, an athlete. We just came out of the Olympics, so we totally get this. An athlete is competing for this, uh, for this event. And so he disciplines his body. He gets it into shape. He eats right. He works out. He does all those things. So he'll be prepared for this event. You think about a student who's got a test to study for. And this test is important because if they fail it, they don't do this. If they pass it, they get to move on. Whatever. And so there's a seriousness and there's a discipline that comes. So that word discipline can be applied, applied to preparation. And the one that we're most familiar with is discipline as it applies to correction. You know, we grew up getting whoopings. You know, how many of y'all got whoopings when you grew up? You know, they didn't even call it discipline. They didn't even call it spanking. I'm just going to whoop you. You know, it's like if you're in Texas, you got whoopings. If you were maybe up north, I don't know what you got. Maybe you didn't get anything. That's probably not true. But you can look at those two definitions of discipline, preparation and correction. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 6, you can see both of these meanings, to teach and to train. And then correction here actually does. It means to, it means to punish. It means to whip. And in Scripture, that, that whole idea can be used metaphorically of difficult times, of misfortune in your life. And so we're going to have two main points for you this morning, and I want you to write them down. The first one is this. Wilderness equals preparation. So write that down. Wilderness equals preparation. And that's by God's design. Remember last week, last week we talked about how God led the people out in the, in the desert, but how God over in Exodus chapter 13 led them. And he had a good reason for doing that. And one of the main reasons that he led them out into the, the wilderness was to prepare them, the people of Israel, to be his people and then to take the promised land. Israel was literally about to walk in their destiny. God was bringing his purposes. He's letting them come to pass in their lives. And if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down under this first point. God prepares his people to fulfill their purpose. There's several examples of this in in scripture. Think about Abraham. Abraham said, go to the land that I will show you. And to get there, he had to go through the desert. You think about Moses. You think about what God had to do. He was in Egypt for all those years. And then God You'd think he'd be prepared being in Egypt, getting all the education, all the war tactics, all the stuff. You'd think he'd be the man prepared, but God had to take him to the backside of a desert to prepare him for what God had really called him for. Uh, I was thinking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist went out to the desert and stayed there. I mean, his ministry was out in the desert. He's shouting out in the you know, hot sun out there and people coming out to him to listen. But what was his message? John the Baptist's message was, prepare ye the way for the Lord. So out in the desert... John is saying, prepare yourself, prepare yourself. In the wilderness, out in the desert, John the Baptist. And the greatest example that we have of that is Jesus. We know that Jesus was, was baptized. We know that the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And then what's the, thing, what's the next thing you see? It says that the Lord led, he was led out into the wilderness. Why? Because God was preparing him. By the way, Israel went through the Red Sea. We've talked about how that was a type or a picture a shadow of baptism. Israel was baptized. What's the next thing God did? Led him out into the desert. Led him out into the wilderness. Why? Because he prepares his people. He prepares his people to fulfill their purposes. Listen, sometimes the difficult things 
that we're going through are meant to teach us. They're meant to train us for bigger things that God has in mind in our lives. That's probably, I know that can sound cliche, but you guys, that is the stinking truth. When you're going through difficult things, it could be that God has some preparation going on in your life. You might be mad about it, about it but God's glad about it. It's like, I've got something in mind. I have a, a promised land. I have a, a calling that I have for you. And he leads us, sometimes he leads us out into the wilderness. The problem is, is that the wilderness comes with challenges. I think we all get that. It's hot in the desert, isn't it? You get hungry out in the wilderness. You get thirsty out in the desert. I was thinking about how, you know, we used to watch, what's the guy's name? That, um, yeah, Les Stroud. We would watch some of his stuff. He would go out and do all that stuff. Listen, it pushes you. Those times of being out in the wilderness or the desert or whatever the challenging situation is, those times push you to the very end of yourself. I mean, it's hard to survive in the wilderness. Has anybody ever tried it? Probably somebody. It's hard to survive in the wilderness. But listen, I want you to write this down. Because God uses the desert to teach us dependency. God will use the desert. He will use the wilderness to teach us a dependency, a dependency upon Him, a dependency solely upon Him. Think about the last, uh, think about one of the statements that Jesus made while He was out in the desert during that, that time He was being tempted. He was, uh, you know, turn this stone to bread. And Jesus said, you know what? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but He lives on the very words, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So basically, we have a choice here. Listen, we can uh, either embrace the journey or we can despise it. Write this down. I told you I had a lot of things for you to write down. There's just a lot of stuff. (laughs) You may not like this. We've got to embrace the wilderness. We must embrace the wilderness or we will face the wandering. Okay, listen carefully because this is the point today. We must embrace the wilderness or we will face the wondering. Again, sometimes God leads us out into the wilderness because he wants to prepare us. His intentions are good. This is going to be good stuff. It's hard, I know, but it's going to be good. We've got to embrace that. Otherwise, we're going to face the wondering. So our second main point here is, is the wilderness equals preparation. The wandering equals correction. You think about wondering, and the first definition that you think about is uh, to go about aimlessly. You know, when you wonder, they're wandered in the desert. They go about aimlessly. And that's, that's certainly one of the definitions of that word. But you know what the main definitions of that word wonder is? To wonder, it's to lose clarity. It's to turn aside. It's to go astray. It's to veer off. Here's the deal. To not embrace the journey that God has us on is a trust issue. When things are going on, when God has us in the wilderness, when he's doing our thing, his thing in our life, and there's preparation, to not embrace that is a trust issue. Do I or do I not believe that God made me special and loves me very much? You know, do I or do I not believe that? You know? It comes down to a simple trust issue. If, if there's one thing we see with Israel... I was thinking about this this week. My wife and I were talking about it. If there's one thing we see with Israel is that God loved them. 
and he had good things for them. Israel definitely had some adjusting to do. They come out of Egypt. There's, it's new. It's fresh. Uh, there were times where they had some rough moments. They complained. They bickered. They argued. They acted goofy. But listen, this is what Melissa and I were talking about. You know what? Thankfully, the God that was leading them was gracious. The God that was leading them was compassionate. He was slow to anger. He was rich in love. There was enough love to go around. And we were talking about how he, he understood all, that they, all these things were new to the people of Israel. They'd just come out of Egypt. This was all new. This was all brand new. And it made me think about, you know, most of you guys know that Melissa and I are moving. We actually have already moved. And think about our children. All they've known virtually their whole life, well, it is. All they've known was that house, that piece of land, that tree house, that chicken pen, that bike route, the, you know, that creek. The, that's all they've known. And then God said, time to move. And so we've moved. And guess what? Therefore, a little while, it was difficult with our children. There were some discipline issues. They started acting out. Does that sound familiar to anybody, maybe, one way or the other? Some of your parents are like, they're still acting out, you know. And, you know, in some ways, it's still an adjustment for the kids. They're still acting out. Well, guess what? I mean, it's tough. And sometimes we're like, oh, my word. But we have compassion for our kids. We have compassion for our children. Well, the Lord has compassion on Israel. So when did it start? When did this wandering start? When did it start going south? Why was there a need for a correction? I want you to look at Exodus 19. Exodus 19. And what we're going to do, man, there's a lot of scriptures, a lot of things to say. So I'm going to do some bullet point storytelling. In Exodus 19, Exodus 19, starting in verse um, 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the sons of Israel, and look what he says in verse 4. You yourselves have sent what I did, or seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. You guys saw it. You were there. You experienced it. Brought you through the Red Sea. All that stuff. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We've talked about that. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So, verse 7, Moses did. He came and called the elders of the people, set before them, and all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And listen to what the people said in verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So that's, that happens right there in, in 19. Okay, You look at verse 20, we don't have time to read all this, but... Chapter 20 through about 23 and a half is where Moses goes up and meets with God, and God starts the training process for his people. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, all these different ordinances, these sundry laws, all this kind of stuff. Okay, 20 through 23, you go back and you read all those things. He's laying out the, the scoop. He's giving them their training. Okay, And then look at Exodus 23, verse 20. Okay, So he's laid all that stuff out, and then he says, let's talk about how we are going to kick tail and take names. Okay, my heading over this section is conquest of the land. And I want to read as much of this as I can. He says, behold, I'm sending an angel 
before you to guard you along the way to bring you into the place which I have prepared. I'm sending an angel before you. This is going to be a very good thing for you. You're going to take the land, verse 23, my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And look what he says, I will completely destroy them. Over in um, uh, 24, he says, you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. Um, he says over in verse 26, there shall be no miscarrying or barren, barrenness in the land. I will fulfill the numbers of your days. He says in verse 27, I will send terror ahead of you. I mean, this is a good thing. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a pep rally. You know what I mean? The people are like, yeah, yeah. There's probably cheerleaders jumping around somewhere at this point. All that, look what he says right here. I will send my terror ahead of you. I will throw those people into confusion among you. And I will make your enemies turn their backs. Look at verse 28. I'm going to send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out all these people. I mean, all of this stuff. And look what he says in verse 29. I will not drive them out before you. Uh, I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate. In other words, it's going to take a little while because there's all kinds of stuff going on. Verse 30. I will drive them out before you little by little. I want you to take note of that. If you're looking at that, I, I want you to ponder on that. Circle that verse, verse 30. And, and read it and ponder on that later. He says, I'm going to do this little by little. Remember what we said? Every journey, every destiny has a journey. Amen? Look what he says in verse 31. I will fix your boundaries to the Red Sea. Uh, I'm going to deliver you. Um, I'm, basically, I'm going to kick tail and take names, and you guys get to, get to be the beneficiaries of that. And I want you to look at um, um, verse 24. And this is, there's some very important things right here. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and you shall worship at his distance. So they came up. Verse 31, Moses came and recounted to all the people everything that God had said, all the laws, all the commandments, the sundry laws, this, how God was going to conquest the land, how they were going to conquer. And look what the people said. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 3. All... The words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words. He rose early in the morning. Uh, Verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And again, this is the third time they said this, you guys. This is really important. Uh, All that the Lord has said, we will do and we will be obedient. So this last time they said it, they added, we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and look what happens. You guys, this is... We'd probably be wigging out if he did this to us. Look what it says. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is, this is big time. God is establishing something. He said, This is what I'm going to do. The people said, We will do everything that you said to do. We will obey that very last time, that third time. And we will obey. Then look at verse 12. This is like, I'm sorry, verse 9. So then Moses went up with Aaron, Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders, and they saw the God of Israel. Now, theologians are, are not exactly sure what they saw or how they saw God, but it says right here that they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hands against the nobles of the sons. In other words, they were in his presence. They saw him, but God didn't strike him down and kill him. So it says, verse uh, 11, they saw God and they ate and they drank. Okay, now this is huge right here. Okay, he lays all this out. The people say three times, 
We, will, we are with you. We believe you. We're, we're going to obey you. And then Moses goes up for an encounter with God for 40 days. And he lays out more training, more stuff on the tabernacle. Chapter um, basically 24 through, and you can turn to 32. We're going to look at that real quick. You have to remember, Moses was up there 40 days. I'm doing this, calling Moses aside. I'm going to show him more stuff. And then look what happens while he was gone. Exodus 32, verse 1. I know this is a lot. This is where the golden calf comes in. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, when they saw that Moses delayed, Moses, where where are you at? This has been 40 days. Where are you at? We're getting ants in our pants. We're getting antsy. Look what they said. Aaron, make us a God who will go before us. Now, wait a minute. Didn't the God who led them out of Egypt already say, I'm going to go before you? I'm going to send um, hornets and wasps, and I'm going to drive out everybody. This is, this is going to end good for you. I'm going, to lead, I'm going to send an angel of the Lord to lead you. Didn't he already say that? But look what he says. Build us a God. Make us a God who will go before us. And as for this Moses, it wasn't even as for Moses, this Moses, as if Moses all of a sudden had no place among them. Who, who Moses was as a representative of God, all, that, all, all of a sudden Moses is some stranger. Are you guys following me? Look what he says. The man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so I was thinking about how right there in that moment, right then you saw the true condition of their heart. Moses is gone. It's a little scary for them for some reason. They think maybe God's killed him. It's like, okay, God lays out all those promises and then is going to take Moses up and slaughter him. Does that make sense to you guys? No. There's unbelief in the people's heart. And unbelief is, a, is, is huge. I want you to write unbelief. You can circle it. You can write it right there by your deal. And I want to give you really quick three things that unbelief produces because this is what we see in the Word and this is what caused the wondering. One thing that unbelief causes, and you can see it right here, is it causes, causes stupidity. <laughs> stupidity. It causes you to take your eyes off of the Lord when you don't believe him, when you don't trust him, that he's going to do what he said he would do, it, it causes you to get into this stupor. All of a sudden, you're not thinking straight. You're not reasoning straight. You're not doing things in an appropriate manner. You lose sight of the Lord. You lose sight of his promises. You lose sight of what he says that he will do. And when that happens, when you become stupid, when you, when you lose sight of the Lord, what's the, what's the natural thing that's going to happen to you? You're going to set your eyes, your affections, your, um, your thoughts on something less. And that thing becomes an idol. That thing becomes a god. And what do they do next? They build the golden calf. So the first thing it does is it, and it probably does several things, but it causes stupidity. Unbelief causes stupidity. And it causes idolatry. What's the very next thing they did after they wigged out about Moses? They built a golden calf. And there's really, Melissa and I were talking about this and reading this, and there's so much to chew on in this. We don't even have time to go through, um, through all of that kind of stuff. But they built the golden calf. We know that in verse 10 it says that God wanted to destroy them for their unbelief. You know what? These people are just not getting I just laid out all of this. These people are obstinate. They aren't listening. They don't believe. And God was going to destroy them. But we know over in verse 11 and through 14 that Moses prays for them. God, spare these people. 
Stay faithful to, to your original plan. Spare them. And so we know that God changed his mind, which is very, very cool. The prayers count, you guys. And then look at Exodus 33. So he kind of reinstates, in fact, in verse 33, the heading over my Bible says, the journey resumed, okay? So all this happened. They, had, they were stupid, <laughs> and then they made an idol, but yet God still responds to Moses' prayer. He shows himself faithful, compassionate, uh, strong, powerful mercy. And then 30 through, uh, 33, basically through the rest of the book, is their journey resumed. God finishing setting up the training, setting up the ordinances, setting up the Ten Commandments, all those things you can read all the way through there, okay? But I want to tell you one more thing that unbelief produces. It produces stupidity. It produces idolatry. And it produces timidity. You can write that down. It produces timidity. And what I want to do is jump ahead to Numbers 13. Numbers 13 i tell you what, for the sake of time, you can mark it and read it later, but we know the story. We know that it was time. It was time for them to go into the land. It was time for them to take the Hittites and the Jebusites and for God's plan of conquering to come into effect. And so they sent some spies into the land. Check it out, see what we need to do, see, you know, because they were a part of the plan. They had to swing swords. God wasn't going to just go boom and it be done. They had some work to do. They sent out some spies, check it out. And the spies came back and said, this is impossible. These guys are too big. There's giants in the land. Their cities are fortified. We can't do this. So they're back to the place of what? They're back to the condition, heart condition of what? Unbelief. God had told them, I'm sending, I'm sending weird bugs upon them, an angel of the Lord, I'm going to strike them down. They're going to be put into confusion. You are going to take this land. It may take a little while because of what you need to do, but it is, going, it is sure you can write it in stones. In fact, he kind of did. You know what I mean? This is what's going to happen. And right here, when it came down to it, some of the spies says, this is too big. This is too big. Except for Joshua and Caleb. We know the story. I was thinking about why, after God told them in detail that he would fight for them, why did they not believe? I thought about us. Why, after reading God's word, why, after hearing sermon after sermon, podcast after podcast, listening to a thousand Christian songs that talk about how God is good, faithful to the end, all the things, how is it that we are timid, fearful about doing what God has called us to do and what he said he would do. Why is that? And Melissa and I were talking about this. There's probably all kinds of reasons that we can come up with and, and, and read and kind of get from the word. But I thought about how, is it possible that these guys were wallowing in guilt and shame? Was there leftover, oh, I can't believe we did that when they built the golden calf. Because that was pretty, that was bad. You know what I mean? That was horrible. Was there something in them that said, I, God's love has got to be done. God's love has definitely run dry. It's run out on me. Listen, failure, if you don't understand God's grace, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, 
his ability to wipe our slate clean. If you don't understand, failure will steal away confidence and shame will cripple. Y'all listening to me this morning? Guilt, shame, failure will steal away confidence. Again, there could be all kinds of reasons and there probably are, but this is something I felt like the Lord would pinpoint this morning. I mean, think about it. God reminded through Joshua, guys, we can do this. Remember what God said? Joshua and Caleb were standing up before the community. Listen, we can do this. God said we would do this. God said he's going before us. He's going to send bugs and eat their ears off. We can do this. But the people wouldn't listen. They were too afraid. They were too timid. Why? Because they did not believe, ultimately, that God was good, that he loved them, that he did forgive them, God's saying, I, I will fight for you. I will do this. I have forgiven you. But Israel didn't believe. And so God, listen to me carefully because this is it. God had to correct their frame of mind. Okay, you got to hear me very carefully. This may be a hard truth and you may not like this, but God had to correct Israel where they were at, they weren't, about to, they weren't going to do, walk in, fulfill, believe that God did what he said that he would do. And the people had already said three times, you know, because third time's a charm, three times, and on the third one said, and we will be obedient. Will you go into the land? Well, we're not going to do that because the people are scary, and we're still feeling bad about what we did with the golden calf. God, he, he said, this is what I'm going to do. The people said, this is what we will do. God sprinkled them with blood. I mean, if people are going to put blood all over me, it's going to be worth something. (laughs) I'm going to go do something. You ain't going to sprinkle blood all over me and me not follow through. And then it goes on to remember to say that they saw God. They saw him there and didn't die. All this, they should be confident, but they weren't. For whatever reason, guilt, shame, or whatever else, they did not do it, and God had to correct them. He needed to get them back on course. He needed to put them back on the straight path. He needed to bring a clarity of mind. He needed to um, fortify faith in them. They had turned aside. Remember all those definitions? This is what he had to do in them. They had put their eyes on their own failures, perhaps. Their own guilt and shame, basically lesser things. Their own guilt, their own shame had become an idol to them. Because unbelief produces idolatry. And so now God was going to discipline them by keeping them in the desert longer. Was that his original plan? It's hard to know because we're not God. We can't read his mind. His ways are higher than ours. But we know that his, he said what his original intention was of bringing them out in the wilderness. That was to save them from the war along the way of the sea, to prepare them, to declare that he is awesome to them, all those things we talked about last week. It says in Numbers 32 that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. He was upset. It's like, you guys, we made a deal. We made a deal. I've shown myself to you. I've been faithful to you. There's no reason other than you just not believing. And it says that he made them wander in the desert for 40 years until the entire nation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Numbers chapter 32, verse 13. But listen, 
Again, the preparation and the correction. But even in the, I want to encourage you today because this can be like, oh God, oh. Listen, even in the midst of the wandering, God was leading them. Do you realize that? It's not like God took a 40-year break. Look what it says at the end of Exodus. I'll read it real quick. Very last thing it says, the very last thing in the book of Exodus. For throughout all their, well, let me just go back. Throughout all their journeys, verse 36, chapter 40, verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they, would, they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. And then verse 38. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. God was with them in the desert. He was with them in the wilderness. He was with them in the wandering. If you're, if you're in Christ, and please hear me so we can wrap this up this morning. If you're in Christ, there's really no such thing as a wandering aimlessly. Okay? Some of you feel like, again, back to that first definition of wandering or one of those definitions of wandering. I'm just, I'm in a God-forsaken land and on my own and I'm just waiting for God to love me again. That's not how it goes. Listen, if you're in Christ, there is no such thing as wandering aimlessly. You can write this down. You're only aimlessly walking if you're walking in unbelief. If I'm not believing, then yeah, I'm just like, there's no purpose here. I'm just walking around nuts. You hear what I'm saying? And so I want to end with this question. How do you know if you're in the wilderness or in the wandering? We've said this just about every week. This is an interesting season for people in our church. For our church, because we're going to be moving buildings and all that. My wife and I are in, in between houses, and where are we going to live? We're renting right now, and that's great, but we, we want to be somewhere. We have something we feel like God has um, promised us. Some of you guys are in the fight of your life, a transition of your life. It's crazy. You're wondering, man, and it feels, it's, and you're, you're like, okay, what's going on? Does God love me? Does God hate me? What's God doing? And it's like, you know, you look at this and there's like, well, there could be two options here. This could be a wilderness time, a time of preparation, or it could be a wandering time. The Lord's doing some correcting. But how do you know that? Do you guys ever ask those questions? Maybe you don't form it in that vernacular, that words or whatever. But do you ever ask those questions? Are those things that kind of float around in your head? What's going on? And when is the lightning bolt going to come? Or, listen, I think here's how you know. You look back on your life and you ask, where and when, if, if ever, did I not believe God and disobey? Where and when did I not believe God and did I disobey Him? These are, this is a hard question, you guys we don't like to go there. But listen to what it said. Remember what it said? The Lord's anger burned against Israel. They wandered in the desert for 40 years until what? Until the entire generation of those who had done evil was destroyed. That is basically a picture of until that frame of mind, until that issue, whatever it was that caused the disobedience, caused the unbelief, is gone. And so you can't even address that if you don't know what's going on. How do you know if I'm, the Lord's just preparing me or the Lord is correcting me. 
Investigate, you know, ask the Lord to investigate your life. Is there a time when the Lord spoke? He spoke clearly. He spoke through his word. He spoke through someone else prophetically. He spoke to you in just that whisper in your heart. And you knew, you knew, you knew, you knew, whatever it was. But for some reason, you didn't walk that out to completion or obedience. That's a hard question, isn't it? But do you know, you realize that that is a valid question to understand? That's not to bring condemnation. That's just a real thing. The truth is that some of you are in a, in a difficult place right now because God's preparing. He's got something amazing for you. You can't even imagine how God's going to use you or bless you or whatever it is that he's going to. He's just bringing a little preparation along, a little training. It's the deal. He's training you, preparing you. You've been faithful, and he's preparing you to, for even more faithfulness. But there may be some people in this room It's like, Ooh, even if as I'm saying this, you're like, oh, man. Yep. There was a time where God told me to do this. And I just flat out ignored him because I was scared. I said a lesser thing before me instead. I was timid. And what manifested was not obedience, belief and obedience. It was unbelief and disobedience. And I think the solution is to say, Lord, there's got to be a change in my heart, a change in my mind. Basically, what the Bible would describe as repentance. So look back, say, Lord, I'm sorry. And not just to say I'm sorry and move on, but to say I'm sorry and then deal with whatever that was. Has God called you to live overseas? Has he been like thumping you on the ear since you were 12 years old? This is what I want you to do. I've confirmed it, reconfirmed it. This is, this is what I created you for. All your gifts, talents, everything is about this. But you're so scared that you might not make it. You might not be used. I've told you I would use you. 20 years, you're supposed to be on the foreign fields and you're here putting lesser things before you. That's just one example. What is God saying? What does he want to do in your life? Let's stand.